that okay? Oh, easy as that. Easy as that. <laughs> so good morning, everyone, for the fifth time. Um, so uh, this morning, we're continuing straight on from where Johnny last week in Acts chapter 18. Uh, our passage today is verses 18 to 28, but the majority of our focus is going to be in verses 24 to 28. But I think we should just read all of chapter 18 just for a bit of context uh, for our passage this morning. So I'm going to read from the NIV, but I might sometimes dart around with my New King James Version, as I often do. So just forgive me for that. So Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle them out yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then it all turns to Cenus, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sencrea because of a vow he had taken there. Then he arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Pariga, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. 
he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was, he, on arriving, he was a great help to those who, by grace, who had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Let us just pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you just be with us now, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, give me the skill, Lord, just to make this passage clear to, to us as a congregation, Lord, as a church today. But Lord Jesus, I pray that you, for your Holy Spirit, Lord, would just minister in our hearts, Lord, just to, to direct us, Lord, in our paths, Lord, in our individual lives, Lord, and as a body of believers here today. All to your glory. Amen. So I've got three points today, um, which is, they all begin with a D. I like alliteration. If you hang around me, you'll, you'll certainly notice I always use alliteration. I don't know why. It's because I'm 10-year-old, probably, in my head. Um, first is uh, the diversity of gifts. Second is looking at discipleship. And lastly is directing and leading from the Lord. So firstly, diversity of gifts. So in today's passage, we have four characters. We have Paul, Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. But we can almost think of uh, Priscilla and Aquila as being one person, as Johnny was looking at last week. Such was their ministry and their marriage. From this passage and elsewhere in scripture, we can see that each of them had quite different gifts according to the different roles that God had called them to. And we learn a lot more about Paul in the New Testament compared to Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla. But I think we have a sufficient snapshot from scripture to see how God used them as part of his plans. And I think it's, it's really quite interesting to see the interactions between these four characters within scripture and how God used the gifts of each person together so well in just 10 verses. And I want us to consider today their gifts and their relationships with one another so that we too might see how God has brought each of us together as a body to work together as part of his plans. Now, we should firstly define and understand what is a spiritual gift. The Greek word used for gift here is charisma, and it basically means something that is graciously given. It's a favor somebody receives without any merit of their own. A spiritual gift, then, is something that's been given to a believer by God, and it's not something that we can work for ourselves. We can't just keep practicing at it. It's a gift given from God. And it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that it's the Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts and that different people are supplied with different gifts. But spiritual gifts are only provided by grace to people who've been saved by God and who have received the Holy Spirit. And spiritual gifts are different to ordinary human gifts but as God is the great designer and creator of all, he may also use these more natural gifts, these earthly gifts in our lives for his glory. Now God tells us uh, through Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 that each believer makes up a part of the church with their different roles and their different gifts. And Paul compares this to a body which has many different parts and functions. 
Now, Paul was used mightily for the Lord for his work in establishing the early church. But Paul, too, was only a part of the wider body of the church. And Paul recognized that, and he often wrote about the support he received throughout his life from other people in the church. This included Timothy, Luke, Barnabas, and in this passage today, in chapter 18, Aquila and Priscilla. God used the gifts and the talents of others to support Paul, which in turn allowed him to use his gifts to build up the church and to support them. But what we can see is there can also be differences within the same types of gifts. For instance, it's obvious that Paul the Apostle could deliver an effective sermon with him preaching Christ to Jews and non-Jews, showing them that Jesus was the Messiah and the need for all to repent of the sins. But we also read in this passage about this man, Apollos, who also was a talented speaker. And Luke describes him as eloquent, which is quite a good word. And it says in the NIV, um, he's able to teach things accurately. He could teach the ways of the Lord accurately. But we'll notice that his speaking abilities and the way he spoke was quite different from Paul. It tells us in scripture that Paul had quite a, a simplistic way of speaking. He wrote about himself in 2 Corinthians. He says, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. And it even seems that some people actually took offense to that and used it as a way to criticize Paul. He quotes it again in 2 Corinthians where they said, for his letters they say are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Quite a bold statement to make. <laughs> you can try that with me, I'd probably agree. Uh, but despite the differences between the spiritual gifts of preaching and teaching, God worked through both of these men to build up his kingdom and spread the gospel. And Paul even comments kind of on that. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither is he who plants anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And this is the attitude that we need to take and sometimes remind ourselves in our own church life. We need to keep our eyes and minds set on him who has supplied the gifts in the first place. God has provided to each person as he best saw fit. And we know that God doesn't make mistakes. God has a plan for how he's going to use you and the talents he's given you. You're unique because God has made you for a specific purpose and in a specific way. The message of the 21st century is to celebrate how unique we are, but that's based on our own skill and our own greatness. But you know what, that doesn't seem to hold up very well when I notice someone is smarter or someone's more popular or more wealthy or more talented or more confident than I am. But having my security in God and knowing my identity is in him, it means I don't have to worry about how great I am or how good I am compared to somebody else. I can have full assurance knowing that everything good in me has been given to me graciously by my perfect maker. And I also know that everything good in my brother or sister of Christ, when I look out here and all the skills and talents you have, they've been given by the same glorious maker. 
Our focus then is not to see, our focus then is to see has how we can use what we've been given to please God. And that when we use our gifts, people look at us and are pointed, not to us, but to Jesus Christ on the cross. And because nobody's perfect, there's always going to be certain things that we're not as gifted at or areas where we're just, we're not called to serve. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's the design of the body. And it allows your brother or sister in Christ to use their gifts to make up where you're lacking. (coughs) Through this, the church is built up together and God is glorified as head of the church. I've used this quote before. I'm guilty. If you were at Bastonfell last year, I actually did a whole sermon on spiritual gifts, so it worked out quite well. But I'm going um, to use this quote again because I really, I really do like it, um, from Martin Lloyd-Jones, just about gifts. You may say that you are not important, but you are. The part next to you is more important, perhaps, but he cannot go on without you, and he is dependent upon you, and he will suffer if you are not in a fit condition to do your part. So all of us are vital, all of us essential, all of us have a great privilege, and the way to avoid problems and disasters is to always be thinking of the whole body, and especially of the head, which is Jesus. Then you will always be looking at him, keeping your eye on him, ready, sensitive, responsive, so that when he initiates an action, it is carried out. Now, secondly, discipleship. So we'll notice from that Apollos and a, sorry, Aquila and Priscilla have very different gifts and a different role to the very public ministry of Paul and Apollos. And last week, Johnny considered the important role that this married couple had in supporting the early church and Paul. A little reminder, they practiced hospitality. You know, they hosted Paul while he stayed in Ephesus and they held church meetings within their homes on many occasions. They helped support Paul through their shared work as tent makers. And it says that they risked their lives for Paul's sake. Or as Johnny said last week, uh, they risked their necks, which you don't really say very often, do you? Now, this couple had a significant impact on the early church within Ephesus, despite their gifts being very different from Paul and Apollos' gifts. And we see in chapter 18 that through their teaching and the discipling of this man, Apollos, They were able not to only help Apollos in his individual walk, but they were able to send him out as an effective minister for Christ. Now, a little background of this this man, Apollos. So he was a Jew born in Alexandria, which was in Egypt, and it was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. Apollos is a Greek name, and the city of Alexandria was known for its education and its wisdom We'll picture it as like a Cambridge or an Oxford. And we are told that this Apollos was, he was a very gifted speaker and he had a very thorough knowledge of the Old Testament, which is referred to as the scriptures. Apollos is described by Luke as being fervent and able to accurately teach the things of the Lord. That is to teach things about the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his talents as a speaker, we'll know he was invited to speak in the synagogue by the Jews. But when he spoke, it became clear he only knew that he knew the Old Testament and the message of John the Baptist, but that there there was something missing in his knowledge of the gospel. And we don't know exactly what Paulus did and did not know. 
But the fact that Luke describes Apollos as being able to accurately teach about Jesus makes it clear that it wasn't a false doctrine. It appears likely that Apollos was aware of John the Baptist being the messenger for the Messiah, which was the Lord Jesus. And if you remember, from if you've read, when we read John recently, you'll know that John's message was that of repentance from sin, but that this could only be found in a redeemer, which was the Lord Jesus Christ. It's probable that Apollos didn't know about Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But what we notice is that instead of publicly challenging Apollos, the couple gently brought Apollos to a private place in the home to teach them more fully the gospel message. And we can learn several things from this event. Firstly, Priscilla and Aquila use their gifts together as a couple to glorify the Lord. Secondly, Priscilla is an example of a godly woman using her gifts to the glory of God in accordance with Scripture. Now, from this verse, some people have sought to extrapolate a justification for women ministers as evidence of Priscilla teaching Apollos. But we must distinguish here between public preaching over men from what is described in these verses, which is the couple more fully and accurately explaining Jesus' ministry, that is teaching the gospel message. It is clear in scripture there are no limits on who is able to witness and share the message of the gospel. We should not therefore draw out more than we should from this verse. However, we shouldn't also just skip over the demonstration that this godly woman showed of witnessing about the gospel message. It's clear that Priscilla was very knowledgeable and intelligent. And the reason women are not called to be biblical teachers over men in a preaching capacity is not to do with the lack of ability or capacity, but instead because God has designed men and women to have different yet complementary roles. In the same way that we have differing gifts which complement each other within the church body. Thirdly, the couple could see that Apollos was a gifted public teacher and they were glad to develop his skills and his knowledge to help him. They were happy knowing the difference in their ministry, seeing that they were part of the same body under Jesus Christ as a universal head. And lastly, approaching the polis to correct him, it would definitely be a daunting task. Not only was Apollos popular enough that he could speak in the synagogue, we also know that he was highly intelligent. And you can imagine the worry that you'd have that Apollos might use his position to publicly shame Aquila and Priscilla for what they said. But their priority was that Apollos would know the full truth of the gospel. And that's a challenge for us when it comes to witnessing to those in our lives, even when it's uncomfortable. Now, discipleship. This passage provides us some insights along with other scripture the need and importance of discipling one another and the benefits it brings. As part of the Great Commission at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus commanded that the 11 disciples would go into the world to spread the word of the gospel and train people up in the knowledge of scripture. If you'd like to turn to Matthew 28, 19. 
Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission continued the pattern that Christ gave of him teaching the disciples, who he then sent out to teach others. Through this, people came to faith and were taught about God. Then these new Christians would spread the gospel so that new people would come to faith and learn about God, and so on. In 2 Timothy, Paul instructs Timothy, who was a student of Paul during his ministry, to do the same in his own church. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, The things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This process is a continuous cycle of passing on what is being taught to you to others. Through this, more and more people hear the gospel and are strengthened in their faith. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, like uh, Timothy, had spent a lot of time with Paul. And we know that as Paul lived with them, he taught them, encouraged them in their faith. And through this, they became more established in their own walks and their knowledge and relationship with God increased. And they too were able to do this for Apollos, to explain to him more accurately the way of the Lord, to pass on the things that had been taught to them. In your NIV Bible, it might say the word taught more adequately, but I think a better translation of the original is accurately. And this teaching clearly brought a better understanding to Apollos, developing his knowledge and his relationship with God. And we see that Apollos then traveled to Achaia to strengthen the congregation there and to pass on what was taught to him. It's this cycle of learning and passing on what's being taught, passing on uh, the torch to the next generation. And Jesus foretold this in his ministry. If you recall the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus said that the kingdom of God would start out small like the mustard seed, which was one of the smallest seeds at the time in Israel. From Jesus, the message of the gospel spread to his disciples, who spread it on, and they pass it on, and they pass it on. And we're testament today of how big that mustard seed has spread into a large, large tree. If we are willing, and if we have faith in Jesus' command here, he will bless discipleship mighty within our church and in our community. Now, discipleship, it's for everyone. Everyone needs to be doing it, and everybody needs it. So everyone needs to be doing it. We've considered how different people, they might have different ministries and different roles in a church life depending on their spiritual gifts. But you'll notice in Matthew 28 that Jesus calls all believers to make disciples of the world. We are all instructed to spread the gospel and help believers become more mature in their faith. Now some people may be more blessed specifically in the area of discipleship we might think of pastors or youth leaders who will teach and lead larger groups of people. But it's equally important for more informal teaching and encouragement in smaller groups, maybe on a one-to-one -one basis, or as we see here, two-to-one with Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos. And everybody needs it, from those who are new to the faith to those who've been Christians for many years. 
Everyone needs teaching, encouragement, and guidance. In chapter 18, verse 11, which Johnny looked at last week, it tells us that he stayed, Paul stayed in Corinth for 18 months. And in verse 18, it says he actually continued even longer. It says, so Paul remained a good while. Paul stayed to preach the gospel, but to also teach the new Christians and build up their faith. And we can read from other portions of scripture in the New Testament that whenever there was a new church, Paul would set up elders over that church to lead and teach and nurture the congregations. We as a church body and as the church leadership, we must put a great emphasis on identifying those within our church who are new to the faith or less mature so that we can build them up. We need to equip our fellow members with the tools needed to be a Christian in the 21st century through teaching the principles of God's word. I was thinking that um, understanding everyone in this church, if you remember, you should understand the articles of faith in our, con in our constitution. It's a great thing to look through. Those points have summarized so many biblical truths. And I think it's, it's a good challenge yourself. Can you read through all of those articles of faith and could you explain them to somebody else in the church? They're simple, but they're very complicated. Such as the gospel message, simple, but also very complicated. We need to establish the pattern of daily reading to develop Christians from infants to people firmly planted in God's word. A few years ago, when I Ben Oliver, who used to be an assistant pastor here, he ran a men's group called Man Up. And the best gift from that wasn't necessarily the teaching or the fellowship, it was the habit Ben instilled in me and the other people who attended that of reading God's word daily. That's the, one of the greatest gifts anyone's given me in this earth because it's such a, such a blessing and such a security because the more you know about God's word, the more assured you are of how great God is and where more obstacles and difficulty comes in your life, the more you know of scripture, the more answers God's able to bring in your heart by reminding you of scripture. It's our best defense in this 21st century of challenges. We need to teach them the blessing that comes from a healthy and regular prayer life. The importance of fellowshipping with fellow Christians. And as we saw in Matthew 28, the message of the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. In Acts 18 and verse 23, we'll know that Paul went back eventually through a number of the churches that he had planted during his missionary journeys in order to encourage them as well. This is because we all need continued teaching, encouragement, and challenges. Until Jesus returns, our faith is not yet perfected and our race is not yet run. One of the commentaries had this quote, ministers must do what they can to strengthen them, to strengthen them all by directing them to Christ and bringing them to live upon him who is, whose strength is perfected in their weakness and who is himself their strength and song. We thought about how Aquila and Priscilla had to step out in faith when they took Apollos aside, having to teach them the fact it took bravery and faith that God would bless that work. But it also took great humility from Apollos. Apollos was bright, he was gifted, he was knowledgeable, yet he was willing to be taught, 
not by the famous Paul, not by one of the apostles. No, it was willing to be taught by a tent maker and his wife. Apollos is a great example for all Christians, but especially those who are young in the faith. We should all be like Apollos, to be teachable, not content in what we know or the skills that we've been given by God, and to be willing to be built up by those more mature in the faith. And like Apollos, when an opportunity is offered us to be taught, we should take advantage of it. If you're not currently attending any midweek groups or you're not fellowshipping outside of a Sunday, I would encourage you to consider the attitude of Paul, of, of Apollos, who despite his appearingly vast knowledge of scripture and his obvious skills, was willing to be taken aside privately into another believer's home and to be taught. Jesus promises in Matthew chapter 13, for whoever has, to him more will be given and he will have an abundance. Now I was thinking, how might discipling look in our church in Calvary? And I thought of in two, two little sections. The first one is specific moments. This passage shows how in an unplanned moment, God may present us with an opportunity to minister to, into someone's life, such as Aquila and Priscilla with Apollos, sharing the full message of the gospel. Now, these specific moments that might be with an unbeliever hearing the gospel message for the first time, or it might just be sharing a verse with somebody who's struggling and in need, or it might be discussing a portion of scripture or a characteristic of God which a believer does not yet fully understand the meaning of. And following the pattern of this passage, our explanations should be shown through the word of God. And I would encourage you, to look through scripture together whenever you're explaining something to someone, be it a non-believer, be it someone who's new to the faith, be it someone who's experienced, someone who's mature in the faith, because there is power in God's word. And the second category I described it as is actively seeking. So I thought of structured groups. So in the recent annual general meeting, we were considering as a body how we might find ways to teach those younger in the faith through youth meetings and how we might find ways to structure activities such as house groups to fellowship together. It is beneficial to actually seek ways to fill a need alongside those spontaneous moments we discussed. And meeting on a one-to-one -one basis or in a smaller group is an excellent way of building up one another. We should all have someone or a small group where we feel we're able to talk to someone about God's word and living as a Christian in the 21st century. This doesn't have to fit a certain mold. This could be a close friend. It could be your spouse. It could be your parents. It could be someone new to the church you've decided just to read the Bible along with. But ideally, there's gonna be a mix of these different, these different settings in different degrees in your life. But it's important, it's vital that we all have something in our life that fits one of those categories. And within these groups, it might be that in some situations, you're the one lead, leading it through, I'll say. And it might be that sometimes you're the one being led through. It doesn't matter because both parties will be blessed if God is part of that meeting. And lastly, our third point, God's directing and leading. 
and it's also my conclusion. It's a two-in-one. So to close, considering these two points, I think we can see throughout these 10 verses, God directing and leading his people through, diff- through the different directions they took. Let's look, look at our four characters again. So firstly, we'll have, we'll have Paul. It tells us that Paul had decided to stay in Corinth for a longer duration than he typically would in his missionary journeys so that he could build up the church and take advantage of the peace that was offered under Galileo, Galileo sorry, by God's provision. Eventually, though, Paul decided it was time to leave and he wanted to head to Jerusalem for a feast. It's widely thought that he left for Jerusalem at the time of this ceremonial feast because there'll be a large people gathered together in Jerusalem, which meant it was an excellent opportunity for evangelism. Now, it, it would have been easier for Paul just to stay in Ephesus from an earthly view. He had stability through his tent-making business with Aquila and Priscilla, and he had two close friends in that couple to support him emotionally and bring him comfort. And then we read in Acts 18 that the church in Ephesus actually asked him to stay a bit longer, but he refused. Then we have Aquila and Priscilla, who were left in Ephesus by Paul to help run the local church. This couple were happy to have a different role to Paul and trusted that it was God's will for them to stay to continue the good work that had been already started. And then lastly, we have Apollos, who had a heart to preach and teach the things of the Lord, both before and after his teaching from Aquila and Priscilla. In verse 27, we read that Apollos desired to travel to Achaia in order to help the church. It does not seem that Apollos had that same dramatic vision that Paul had when he was called to go to Macedonia. But Apollos saw a need and wanted to fulfill a good work for the Lord. Now, for each of these different situations and in our own lives, we need the attitude of Paul in verse 21 of this chapter, where he said he'd promised to return one day, God willing. When seeking to use our God-given gifts or for finding opportunities to start new groups or meetings, we should remember to seek God and his will. At certain times, God may direct you so clearly I've seen through Acts, you know, God's spoken so clearly in people's lives. You know, when Philip ministered to the Ethiopian man, when Ananias baptized Saul, when the Holy Spirit forbade Paul from entering Asia. But at other times, we might not feel we know God's will as clearly as that. We might not know what the next step should be. It tells us that Apollo, Apollos decided to travel to Achaia for the purpose of blessing others through his actions. He didn't want to leave just for his own private benefit, for his personal motives. He wanted to bless others. And we can see that this decision was supported by the church at Ephesus because they wrote a supporting letter on his behalf recommending him to the church. Now in such situations where we do not know the will of God, I think we should apply the following point as a way of guidance. Firstly, truly examine in our heart whether we feel like it's God's will. Secondly, search God's word for instruction on similar situations and guidance. Thirdly, pray and pray that God would speak you through his word. 
forth, I would ask you to ask, is the motive for what you're doing for your benefit or is it for the benefit of the kingdom? And lastly, you know, the idea of being a body, share with others within the church and ask them to pray for you. I think we can infer from this passage that Apollos shared his desires with the church. That's why they wrote the letter. Sometimes God might not reveal himself so clearly in a moment because he wants you to share with others and they can bless you as a body together, relying on each other. And in the last two verses of this chapter, we can see the result when God uses the gifts of his people as part of his plans. Apollos would travel to Achaia where he would encourage the local church through using his gifts in preaching and teaching to show that Jesus was the Christ from the Old Testament scriptures. I love the words here. Apollos vigorously refuted. I wouldn't want to be vigorously refuted by anyone, never mind him. Apollos did it with such great desire and effort that he clearly outlined that Jesus was the Messiah from the Jews' Old Testament, which they know so well. They did it with such accuracy that the Jews, they could say no more. It's amazing. And through these, this, these 10 verses, we can see the scale of God's plans just through four different people. God using different people at different times, using gif- different gifts in different places to accomplish his will and to bring people to salvation. And today we serve the same God who has had the same plan before the world was even formed. And that plan involves you and your gifts. As we leave this place today, I would ask you to pray to God in the quiet of your heart that he would direct your paths, that he would make his way straight before you. You know, we're coming to a time of transition. Paul and uh, Michelle and the the family are coming over in a matter of weeks now, really. And the ministry, it's going to continue till then. It will continue after Paul and Michelle maybe leave one day. But it's clearly a time of transition. Today might be a time where God's calling you to serve in a new way, to use the gifts he's given you. Trust in the Lord and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, for just how you've blessed us, Lord, as a congregation, Lord. I thank you, Lord, how you've brought so many new people in, Lord, in recent months, Lord. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that this body, Lord, it's united in you. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would just, uh, by your Holy Spirit, guide us to use the gifts that you've given us, O Lord, that we may encourage one another, that we may build one another up. And Lord God, that we may take that out into the world and that when people look at us, they don't see gifts and talents, they see the Lord Jesus Christ at work. Lord God, bless us now, Lord, and just bless us, Lord, as we come to this this time of communion as well, O Lord. Lord, I pray we just search our hearts, Lord, just to see the sin in our heart, Lord, that we need to confess before you, Lord, but just how great a God you are and the glory of knowing the full truth of your gospel. Lord Jesus, just be with this day, Lord, and help just guide us as we move forwards together. Amen.